Welcome to episode 108 of the Jackson Hole Connection, brought to you by Jackson Hole Wine Club. Please visit the jacksonholeconnection.com slash TLS to learn more. And if you are new to the Jackson Hole Connection or have been an avid listener, I recommend listening to a few of our previous episodes. Episode number nine with Bubba Albrecht. Bubba's the founder and CEO of Giver, a local lifestyle clothing brand born and grown right here in Jackson Hole. Another badass guest is Bill Watkins, the founder and CEO of the Lions Pride. Bill and his rock star team provide business and life tools for high speed acceleration and enjoyment. Bill's not to miss episode is number 32. While walking in the outdoors and enjoying some fall weather, take the time to listen to Bubba on episode number nine and Bill on episode 32. Hello from Jackson Hole. I'm Stefan Abrams, your host and guide today. Each week I sit with someone connected to Jackson Hole to share their fascinating story about daily life. I feel we can all learn so much from each other and I intend to search out people and their stories, which will teach us all a little about other people's lives. Today's guest is Melissa Turley, who's been living in the Valley for over 20 years. During Melissa's time as a Wyoming resident, she's been an active contributor to the local community, to our state community, and the community of women leaders. Melissa is known and respected throughout the state as a woman of leadership who makes an impact. Melissa will share with us today how her mentors have provided inspiration to take action and to be part of a solution. Combined with the strong work ethic Melissa learned from parents who owned their own business, and the spirit and confidence of being a leader, Melissa planted deep roots in the community of Jackson Hole. Melissa, thank you for joining me here today at the Jackson Hole Connection and exciting to have the time to sit down and, and talk with you and get to know you a, a, a lot better. Welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So let's start off with how you landed here in Jackson Hole and what life is like for you in Jackson Hole right now? I came to Jackson Hole over 20 years ago as a recent college graduate. The first thing I did when I graduated was hop on a plane to Cancun. And from there, I backpacked with a girlfriend all the way down to Tierra del Fuego. And when I got done with that incredible journey and was returning to the States, I realized I had done quite a lot of planning for that trip and not a lot of planning for what came next. <laughs> so my choices were to move in with my boyfriend in Jackson Hole or move in with my parents in Denver. And it wasn't a hard choice to make. You came to Jackson Hole. <laughs> I came to Jackson Hole. And I was careful not to get a job in a restaurant because my parents owned restaurants growing up. And so I, I knew I wanted something a little different. Uh, my first job actually was in administration with the school district. Was it? Awesome. You kept the schools operating. <laughs> I kept their curriculum organized. I was in the curriculum office. And life for me today in Jackson Hole looks a whole lot different than it did 20 years ago. I own a home. I'm married with a 11-year-old son, and I am proud to be the executive director of the Teton Village Association and also the president of our Rotary Lunch Club this year. Thank you for serving. Your Rotary Club appreciates you. It's my honor. <laughs> what was it like growing up with a family in the restaurant business? Tell me about the restaurants your family had and what that was like. 
Uh, when I was young, my dad and uncle owned a health food restaurant in Boulder, Colorado. And so I just remember always, you know, having healthy food at home and being really excited to go to friend's house and have some Valveda on Wonder Bread grilled cheese sandwich. That was like so exciting. <laughs> um, you always want what you don't have, right? Yeah. And then when I was in middle school, they, we had moved to Denver and my dad bought a bagel deli. So my first job was working for my parents as a dishwasher. Not sure if I started at age 10 or 11, but by middle school, I was walking to the restaurant after school to do my dishwashing shift. Um, and then of course worked in their restaurants. They went on to expand um, to several locations in a cater catering kitchen. So me, my brother, and all of our friends all worked for my parents at some point or another growing up and through most of college. Do you feel that the experience of working in your family's business helped you prepare for what life is like? The reality of it, the hard work that life presents. Yeah, absolutely. And it also, you know, instilled in me the importance of doing a good job. You know, you're never as um, passionate about the work as you are when you're the owner and you're not doing it for, well, I guess I was doing it for a paycheck, you know, when I was 11 years old so that I could buy my Rick Springfield album. But, you know, at the end of the day, <laughs> um, there's just that sense of pride um, of having a small business and, you know, really wanting to make sure that everything is um, done as well as it possibly can, because that's, that's your family's name on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so true. And you mentioned that you're president of the Rotary Lunch Club, and you're the executive director of the Teton Village Association. You've done a lot more in this community and for not just for the community of Jackson Hole, but the community of the state of Wyoming, but also the community of girls in Jackson and Wyoming and for women in Wyoming. Can you jump into that a little bit and share some of the things that you've done over the past, the short 20 years? <laughs> Absolutely. I had the great, really luck, honestly, of connecting in my life with Mickey Babcock, who is an extraordinary woman in so many ways. Um, but at the time that Mickey and I connected, she was just launching the Equipoise Fund, a foundation for the women and girls of Wyoming. And I started working with her um, to launch the foundation. And we engaged in a lot of work around the state with women in leadership and also organizations that were supporting women and girls to identify what challenges and opportunities existed. And I continued working with her for a number of years. And through that time, I also, uh, with a network of local women here in Jackson Hole, founded the Womentum organization with our Womentoring program, a women's mentoring program that we call a civic mentoring program. You know, there's, um, when people think of mentoring, sometimes they think of like, big brothers, big sisters. Other times they think of a professional mentoring that's focused within a certain profession. But with well Mentoring, what we were really wanting to do was create a better community. So we recognize that by providing connections and skills and advice, encouragement, all of those things that come with a mentoring program that we were 
improving the lives, not just of the participants in the program, both the mentors and the mentees, it really is a two-way relationship, but then that the impact that those participants have on, on our community and um, many times our, our state as well are um, just so much greater, that these are women that already are interested in giving back, that many are already in leadership positions, but we, we found that the Woman Mentoring Program was a way to make their impact exponential. And that program now has had over 300 graduates in our community and is expanding to other communities around the state. There is a, a woman mentoring program in Lander that launched, I believe, two years ago, and they are growing and it's really exciting to see. Well, thank you for that huge impact for our community. And my wife has been through the program. She applied to be in the mentoring program and they said, um, could you be a mentor and not a mentee? <laughs> and I know that she received great value and some wonderful connections out of that, out of the program. That's great. Yeah. It's really improved so many lives and it's so interesting too. For a long time, it was hard for us to recruit mentors and a lot of women would feel like they weren't qualified and then they clearly had so much to give. And, and so I, I love that story. I think a lot of us always think no, I'm the one who wants to learn. I have more to learn. And as I said, it often is that two-way um, street that you, you, we both have way, places to teach and places to learn. But I do think that that's an important. People think that, that the program is, you know, that the benefit is primarily to the mentees when there really is an enormous benefit to mentors as well. Mm -hmm. For sure. Now, throughout your life, you know, younger life and, and now professional life, do you feel that you've had several different mentors and do you have a current uh, mentor? I have had many, many mentors in my life. Certainly growing up, my parents and some of the friends of my parents um, and teachers, we, we lived kind of far from our extended family, but we had a, a family of friends. So there were also, um, you know, children in, in my network that were older and, and knew more than me that were great mentors. And in Jackson Hole, again, I had the, the great fortune of connecting with Mickey Babcock, who has been a fabulous mentor and friend and just set such a, a great example for me always to um, use as guiding light and, and to strive um, towards living, living my life um, as much as I can in her footsteps. And you, you also mentioned something about how initially with Momentum, you had trouble finding mentors because somebody might not have felt as though they were qualified to be a mentor when actually they had much to give. Could you help clarify or, or provide a little bit of idea of when you are searching for somebody to be a mentor, what are some characteristics that you're looking for, because then maybe somebody can realize, hmm, I do have these characteristics and I can help provide something to another person or an organization and, and fulfill that role. Absolutely. You know, certainly someone like a Rotarian who puts service before self, someone who lives with integrity. And again, even though the mentor relationship is seen as instructive, it's important for mentors to be be people who are interested in learning as well, um, sharing their knowledge, but being willing to recognize what they don't know and what habits they might be interested in changing. Okay. Do you feel that you're always learning in life? Absolutely. You never and stop learning. Yeah. 
I'm I I never want to stop learning. <laughs> what do you think? Where did you get that drive from? That peace of mind that says I always want to learn. And how do you share that with others? I had the opportunity in middle school to attend a school that was focused on experiential learning. In a lot of ways, I see similarities to that school with our local Mountain Academy of Teton Science School. Um, Much of the curriculum was student-driven, so we were given parameters in which to work, but then we were able to decide what topic we wanted to study. And um, that experience really gave me a love for learning and an appreciation for doing a good research project or, you know, really um, caring about something enough to, to get to know more about it and um, to get to know the ins and outs of it, to be able to have a discussion or a debate about a topic that you're passionate about. And um, so I feel like that was a great foundation for me to set the table for a lifetime of learning. Well explained. I thank you for doing that because I feel like we all have an impact on other people's lives. And when we slow down enough and uh, think about it, we we're all mentors in some way or another to each other. Yeah, absolutely. And I find what serves me really well is curiosity, Mm. um, especially in those times when I feel stuck. So whether it's asking myself just why I'm stuck or, you know, asking the question about how to look at something from a different perspective um, or trying to understand someone else's perspective. So um, as you know, I served about a decade in local elected office and on town council and county commission. And um, one thing that I feel I brought to that was this sense of learning because oddly in elected office, you know, you're asking for a job and your job interview is with your neighbors and and peers and you're asking for them to vote for you because you hope that they agree enough with your perspective. And then you find yourself in office and all of a sudden, because you've been elected, you're expected to be an expert in everything. (laughs) And, you know, one of the most powerful things for me was to give myself permission to say, I don't know. And that really started in the campaign because, again, if you think about, you know, having a job interview with 1,200 people um, or 4,000 registered voters, you know, you get a lot of different questions and you, you want to be the expert and you want to be able to answer every question. And there's no worse way to get in trouble than to give the wrong answer confidently about something you know nothing about. I could see that. <laughs> <laughs> and... When you're in elected office, would you say that from somebody's perspective, it's not always going to be the right answer? No, definitely not going to be the right answer. But, you know, for for me, it was an effort of seeking enough information. Of course, we have great staff at the town and county, and we do have passionate citizens. And so, again, I dedicated myself to that learning process to feel confident in the decision that I made, knowing that there were many situations where plenty of people didn't agree with me. Um, and there were plenty of situations where there was not a clear uh, right or wrong. I mean, that's part of why you're being asked to make this decision as an elected official. And so what I found was just being really confident in why it was the right decision for me and being able to explain to people how I arrived at that decision. I appreciate the thoroughness that you offered during that time because you hope that everybody at least provides some of that detailed and desire for what you said, curiosity. 
to, to know more. When, when you get to a point where maybe you feel stuck or in a, in a place that you need curiosity, what are some things, actions, or a place that you go to help spark that curiosity to, to get it going? The best way for me to think through a problem is to move. I live at the base of Snow King and I love hiking up this mountain, um, you know, year round, except for when the mud gets too thick or the ice gets too slick. I skin it in the winter. I hike it in the summer. I bike on all the great trails um, in Cache and Farrens. And, you know, sometimes I realize that a problem merits getting outside and moving. And, and other times I just know that I'm stuck and find myself out uh, in nature, whether it's a hike or a bike ride or a ski and the wheels are turning and it's helping me move through the questions to help get moving in the direction of an answer as I'm moving my body. Would you attribute that to moving the body or being out in nature that helps um, with you to think through something? Oh, it's both. Absolutely. But, you know, I, I guess I don't find that I solve as many problems on a treadmill as I do on a trail. Being in the outdoors, I feel is so um, re-energizing and vitalizing to me. Certainly puts my head in a different space to, to be able to be outside and absorb nature. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate the singular focus sometimes too, whether you're trail running or mountain biking, or, you know, you can be thinking for a moment about the problem at hand. And then you just have to think about that next rock in front of you and make sure that you get your foot or your tire or your ski exactly where it needs to be. And um, that that's really grounding and important as well. Yeah. Have a little problem if you're not focused on those rocks in front of you. <laughs> yeah, I had a little run in with a snow snake this winter and tore my ACL. So Ooh. yeah, Ooh. it was hiding under that pile of snow. They, they do that. Mm-hmm. They, they certainly do that. And there was another organization that you've been heavily involved in, GAP. Tell us a little bit more about GAP. Yeah. Girls Actively Participating is an extraordinary organization that provides empowerment and um, energy and really good role models and ideas for middle school girls. Um, middle school, I think we can all relate to as a really difficult, challenging time, no matter, I think, gender or location or, you know, they're, they're just, it's, it's a hard time of being in between, kind of that, that gap between being a child in elementary school and, and growing more towards adulthood with high school and college. So it's the organization um, was founded by Amy Manhart, who is a science teacher at the local middle school. And she had just begun on her own inviting some of the girls into her classroom after school one day a week. And um, now it's blossomed into a, a great program throughout the school year with uh, summer programming as well. And give an idea of some of the programs that are involved with GAP that help the girls build this confidence and level of togetherness so they don't feel alone during that challenging time of their middle school. Yeah. So girls actively participating brings in different speakers. They take field trips. I know when I was, again, in elected office, I would host the Gap Girls in the town council chambers or the county commission chambers. They undertake activities, um, 
They do uh, volunteer and, you know, philanthropic work and learn about the great organizations uh, that are helping to support our community. I'll be right back with Melissa after this quick message from the show sponsor. Jackson Hole Wine Club, the newest and most exciting club in Jackson Hole. We accept everyone as members who's of age and happy to pay. No application to qualify. If you're looking for something new and exciting in your inbox each week that will flow into your house, then check out the Jackson Hole Wine Club Wine of the Week. Kevin McNamara, the wine buyer for the liquor store, handpicks a special selection for the wine of the week. Please visit the Jackson Hole Wine Club to learn more. Being a, a parent yourself and having a, a young son and being so involved in the side of, for, for women and for girls, how is that translated into helping your son understand how he can be a, a, a person who it contributes back to the society? Well, I think, you know, whether when we're talking about a community that's struggling for equality, whether it's gender equality or racial equality, religious, it's always important that not only is the uh, minority feeling empowered and uh, growing and seeking strength, but also, you know, that, that the majority um, sees value in that work and that the two are working together. So raising my son to recognize equality in people, to recognize privilege that he has and to recognize opportunities that he has to help others. And again, to see everyone as equal. Yeah. So, so important for for us all to teach our young folks about how we can, how we are created equal and what we do every day should emulate that. And everybody's so important in the world and can have their, their impact. And if everybody's given the same opportunity of, of equal footing, then they can find their, their, their path to success. So tell us now about what happens at Teton Village Association. What is your role over there? Yeah, um, Teton Village Association, we are responsible for the transportation demand management component of Teton Village. So we work really hard to mitigate traffic impacts associated with activities at Teton Village. And that means we are uh, supporters and partners with Startbus. We also provide the free Stilson Express shuttle service between Stilson and Teton Village. And we manage the parking operations um, that all go hand in hand to be the carrot and the stick um, that give people great options to get to the village on transit and by carpooling and give people the choice if they do drive um, to pay a fee. And then those fees are reinvested in, in our transit programs. We also own the Village Commons and we run events out there the Concert on the Commons series, as well as um, the ice skating rink and family programming in the summer. We have the Alive at Five program in the evenings and in the winter, um, we do a holiday roundup around the um, uh, winter holidays in December and early January, and then again in February and in March. And we work with our partner properties, all of the commercial properties in Teton Village, including Jackson Hole Mountain Resort, are 
our members. And um, so we work again to, to bring those businesses together, to bring a voice, um, to provide uh, services when they're needed and um, integration or communication as necessary as well. So um, one need that we know we have for this winter in Teton Village is going to be some more places for folks to be able to um, warm up and maybe eat a little lunch or drink a cup of coffee, but um, in the base area where there will be reduced capacity in all of the restaurants, we've identified the need for some more heated tents in the commons. So that's something we'll be, we'll be working on for this winter as well. We have a robust public art program and um, really proud of the new tram car installation up on the commons so that people can have a chance to walk in that tram car and, and learn a little bit more about the history of Teton village at the same time. Well, that's that's a big task that you handle. Sounds like there's a lot of wrangling and many opinions that you are w- working with. And in today's world with your experience of serving as an elected official and with what you've done with Momentum and Gap and your role at TVA, how do you process all of this information that could be an agreeable or an opposing view and then be able to process it all to, to make decisions. Where, what are some thoughts and skills that you could share with people that could help them when they're processing so much information? Yeah, I think, again, um, that, that lifelong learning, right? And recognizing that I don't know everything, but there are a lot of great resources, experts and reading materials and um, people in our own community to reach out to, to ask the questions. So I, when encountered with a complex problem, definitely try to do that, you know, think about all of the resources available and take some time to reach out. I have a wonderful staff at Teton Village Association uh, and a very engaged board of directors as well. And um, we have a great partnership with many entities and certainly work very closely with Jackson Hole Mountain Resort and are able to combine forces when when possible. So feel grateful for those resources. And um, I think, you know, again, my my number one lesson is just not to be afraid to admit what I don't know and, and try to go after getting all of the information that's necessary to make a good decision. And you have lots of decisions to make out there. <laughs> that's a busy place, uh, Teton Village. Uh, big responsibility and there's many moving parts. And I appreciate the perspective of, of the lifelong learning. And I feel that we can all share a little bit of um, knowledge from each other, whether we are in agreement or, or disagreement, we can learn from each other so much when, when we have conversations. Absolutely. It's always important to talk to each other. I feel like that's where we have the hardest time, right? Is if you think you understand someone's perspective and you don't, then that can set the trajectory for miscommunication, misunderstanding, and then misalignment that doesn't tend to benefit anyone. So it is, it's always helpful to check for clarity. Certainly. And when you say check for clarity, what are some of the questions that you ask somebody? How do you get into that conversation? Well, I find, you know, that word is really helpful, right? So following up, hey, this is, this is what I heard you say. I just want to check to make sure that I understood correctly or, or did I hear that correctly or even following up with someone 
to find out if I've been clear in what I've communicated. And with the skills that you've learned and honed in and being a lifelong learner, are there plans for other elected positions for you in the future? <laughs> um, I don't think so, but you know, never say never. I definitely did not grow up thinking that I was going to serve on the town council. My joke is always that I got my degree in journalism, but I never worked as a paid journalist because I knew that getting in at the ground level meant that I was going to have to report on town council meetings and how boring I thought that was when, when I was a recent college grad, I never undertook that. And then, uh, you know, I went on actually to not only serve as a town council person, but also I did work a stint for the town. Um, again, one of my early jobs in Jackson Hole. I was in the town administration, so I was taking minutes at town council meetings. So I have spent quite a lot of time in public meetings. And sometimes I really enjoy it. And sometimes I'm really glad I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can all say there's um, things that pique our interest and in not, but we still have to do it. True. Yes, very true. For finishing up today's question and answer session. What are some things that we are in the, in the world? And you said struggling for equality. What would you like to see us as people do to help break down those barriers for where we don't see as much of a struggle for equality on, on all levels? Well, again, I think, you know, it comes from all sides. So I, also worked for the work to help launch and, and then worked for the Wyoming Women's Legislative Caucus. And at the time when we started that caucus, there were over 20 women in the state legislature and that wasn't enough. And now uh, I believe there are 12 or 15 and for Wyoming to be the equality state and have such minimal representation of women in elected office it's an embarrassment, but more than that, we all lose. And I never say, you know, you should elect someone based on, I wouldn't say you should elect a woman just because she's a woman. Mm -hmm. I, I always believe you should elect the most qualified candidate, but I think that that issue in leadership, and again, whether it's a woman or a racial minority, or whether it's, you know, whatever the difference is, we all are better off when we have a fuller representation of our society. And I think that, you know, the way that you resolve that problem is both by uh, empowering, in this case, women to see ourselves as leaders. You know, in my case, as I said, I never thought that I would run for elected office. In fact, when I did, it was only because I had asked 20 other people to run and they all said no. And, <laughs> you know, I, half or more of them said if you're so passionate about this, why don't you do it? But, but again, I hadn't seen myself as that leader. You know, I undertook it because I saw a need for leadership, but I didn't identify that was me until I guess you would say the mirror was held up to me. And so again, that takes both sides, right? That took me seeing myself as a leader, but it took all of those people encouraging me. And that was men and women, you know, across the community that I was talking to. And a lot of people who clearly I really admired and thought would, would be great in elected office. So, you know, I think that's, again, something that we can all do for each other is encourage one another 
and seek out um, those people. You know, I, I do think of it a lot in political representation, but it's across the board in leadership. So, you know, it's not really just elected office, but in, in business and in banking and in Rotary. You know, I am glad that we, I was looking at the Rotary board and realizing how male it was. <laughs> and, you know, just having that thought for myself, but think, you know, I was on the outside at the time and there were members on the board who looked around the room and said, well, wait a minute, you know, we've had female presidents of our club, absolutely, but it's been a while and they were lining up the succession of leadership for several years to come and it was all male. And they realized that, no, we, we do need more diversity. And so, you know, it's, it's the allies as well and the people who are in the position of power who look to diversify their own, you know, chambers of power, as you will, and, and are willing to admit that there is a value in having that diversity represented. And I believe that when you have a more diverse leadership, then you're able to bring forward that more equitable society because you do have more opportunity for all of the voices to be heard. Well spoken, Melissa. Thank you. I hope everybody listening can take away from that message of um, having a broader scope of representation is, is better for us all. And I hope to see that sooner than uh, the longer period of time that on all levels of governance, we have a broader scope of representation for, for everybody. And I, I appreciate you taking the time to, to share these thoughts. Change begins at the local level and at the level that where you've started and I look forward to seeing your next campaign. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. And I will remind you and your listeners to vote. Our primary or our general election, um, early voting has begun. And of course, election day is November 3rd. So um, please vote. And I hope that as people are voting this year up and down the ballot, they are thinking about diversity and looking for those candidates with integrity who will help to make our community, our state and our country a better place to live. Yes. I want to ask you one final question. For your, from your perspective, just your opinion, is there a higher ranking that you put on integrity over diversity? Or is diversity at a higher ranking than integrity? Uh, you missed Rotary last week. We were talking about the four-way tests and whether each of the four builds on one another. But I do think integrity is, is primary. You need integrity before all else. Mm -hmm. I, um, yes, I'm sorry that I've missed so many Rotaries. <laughs> I do appreciate you uh, being the president of our club. And I look forward to joining you and seeing you lead the group each week and experiencing you as the president for our club. And thank you for serving so much, Melissa. Uh, well, thank you. I look forward to seeing you back at Rotary soon. And thank you for inviting me to talk with you today. It was really enjoyable. Yeah. Get out there and enjoy some Snow King. All right. Sounds good. All right. Have a good day, Melissa. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. To learn more about Melissa and her community work, visit thejacksonholeconnection.com, episode number 108. If you're out there and need something to do, give us a rating or share this episode. We love it when people share us and give us five stars. Many thanks to everybody who keeps this episode going and the podcast. My wife, Laura, my boys, William and Lewis, my editor, Michael Morey, and everybody who listens regularly. Joshua, Richie, couldn't do it without you. I sure hope you've enjoyed this episode and I look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.